You know, with the advent of social media and camera phones, we came the era of comparison, didn't it? That everybody is documenting their lives all of the time. You know, it didn't really happen. You didn't really eat it. You didn't really go there. You didn't really work out and do CrossFit unless it somehow shows up on social media, right? You know, the, the joke is, how do you know if somebody does CrossFit or not? Just give them a minute and they'll tell you. I'm just kidding. All right, I love all my CrossFit buddies. All right, all my CrossFit brothers and sisters in the congregation today. But the truth is what happens with social media is we log on and what we see is the best picture of someone's life. The highlight reel of someone's life. The staged moments of someone's life. You know, you, everybody in here has taken a picture, saw that your hair was messed up, saw that the house was dirty in the background. I thought, you know, I'm going to take that again before I post it, right? Because that is a little too authentic for my taste. That's a little too real of a shot of who I am and what's going on in my life. And so what's easy for us is we play the comparison game. We see someone and their marriage always looks good. We see someone and their children always seem happy and their children always seem well behaved. Their house always seems to be in order. And we are scrolling through our Facebook feed. We're scrolling through our Instagram feed. And what we see is spaghetti hanging from the ceiling and our kids screaming. And every picture that we see and every status that we read is like an indictment on our character. Saying, you aren't a good enough mother. You aren't a good enough dad. You aren't a good enough husband. You aren't a good enough mom. We compare our worst with everybody else's highlight reel. And by carrying, comparing our worst to everybody else's highlight reel, we live oppressed by our own conscience and guilt. I think mom guilt is one of the greatest epidemics of our day. It's always existed. It's something that's always been there. But the, the new networking power and social media status has elevated it to another level. The standards of what it takes to be a good mom are a fluid, dynamic, ever-changing list. It seems as though there's always another benchmark that your child needs to attend, a different car seat that you need to buy, another blog, another talk show, another standard that you need to meet and you try so hard and what you feel like is you keep spinning these plates and holding this kingdom together and ultimately you fail. And you feel like you're not a good mom and you feel like you're not a good wife and you feel like you're letting down your husband and your kids and all the people around you because you can't match what everybody else says that you're supposed to be. And you can't live up to the perfection. And every time children are going to get sick and children are going to miss benchmarks and houses are going to get dirty, but you see everyone as an indictment on your character. And you're living oppressed oppressed, not in the freedom and in the joy that Christ came to secure for you. And so this morning, 
This morning, what I want us to see is how we can deal with this kind of guilt and this kind of anxiety and this kind of worry when it comes up in our life, when we face mom guilt or when we face any other type of anxiety that might find its way in. So if you have your Bibles, would you turn with me now to Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12. We'll begin to read together in verse 22. When you get there, would you stand with me as we read together? Luke chapter 12, beginning in verse 22, God's word says, And he said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouses nor barn. Yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to a span of life? If then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? Do not seek what you are to eat, what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock. For it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your heart, your treasure is, there your heart will be also. May God bless the reading and the preaching of his word. This morning you may be seated. Where we catch up with Jesus in Luke chapter 12, Jesus has been teaching to a crowd of people. And while he was teaching to the crowd, a man approaches him and asks for his help. An inheritance had come to be in his family. Apparently his father, his family had passed on and his brother had received the entirety of the inheritance. And so he wanted Jesus to help him go and confront his brother and ask his brother to give him what he believed he was entitled to, what he believed was his rightful share of his family's inheritance. But Jesus doesn't help him confront his brother. Jesus doesn't help him go and get what he's entitled to. Instead, Jesus tells him a parable. He tells him a parable that we know as the parable of the rich fool. He tells the story of a man who, who is a success, has a successful business and his business is so successful that he looks out over his life and he says, you know what, I'm selling myself short. I could have, I have a lot, but I could have a lot more. So he builds bigger barns and bigger storehouses and he has a bigger farming operation and he stores up and he stores up and he stores up and ultimately he arrives at what he believes will be his retirement date. He arrives at the day that he believes is going to allow him to now coast in prosperity throughout his golden years and the Lord God says, today your life is demanded of you. 
and all that his life had built up for, all of his, that his life had been aimed at, all the things that he had lived, the purpose for which he had given all of the hours and all of the weeks and all of the days of his life proved to be worthless. Something that someone else would enjoy. And so Jesus is talking to the crowd about the ambush of covetousness and now he pulls his disciples aside so that he can elaborate on this teaching about material things. So that he can elaborate over the temptations and the, and the difficulties that they're going to face as they live now in a fallen world, in a world that is going to tempt them toward covetousness. And in this process, he gives us at least three instructions about worry, three instructions that we can use if you're struggling with mom guilt or three instructions that you can deal, you can use if you feel like you're a failure as a dad and a failure as a husband, three instructions that we can do that battle worry in our lives. The first instruction that we see is do not be anxious about the little things. Do not be anxious about the little things. Jesus says, for life is more than food and the body more than clothing. In other words, in the big picture, food and clothing, though necessary, are small potatoes. They are little things. You see, Jesus knows his disciples. Jesus knows what their struggles will be. Jesus knows what their temptations will be. Jesus knows what their strengths are. And Jesus knows what their weaknesses are. He knows their, uh, their abetting sins that, that live in their life. He, he knows all of these things, the besetting sins, all the things that they, that they are struggling with. And Jesus knows that it has been a ca the case for the people of God dated all the way back to Israel, going into the promised land and seeing the prosperity of Canaan, that they will see the world around them and desire what the world has. They will see the prosperity of the others and want the prosperity that they have, that as they live on mission for Christ, it will be costly and it will be difficult and it will be strange and countercultural. And living this strange and countercultural life, it will be difficult not to look around them to the margins of their life, to the periphery of the world around them and see people living in houses they wish they lived in. People who have, who have cars they wish they had. People that have retirements and travel accounts that they wish that they could enjoy. In other words, it will be temptation of the people of God to struggle with covetousness. That contentment and peace will be a battle for Jesus' disciples. I bet it's the case for you. I bet every person in here could, could say that truthfully, the battle of your life is contentment and peace. Of finding your identity in Christ and finding your satisfaction in Christ and realizing that in Christ, truly, you have everything that you need. Jesus makes what appears to be like a, a double-layered, two-sided, almost paradoxical argument to support his case. The first thing that he says is he, say, he gives us these two considers, right? Consider, consider. First, consider the ravens. Consider the birds around you. And he's making this case of that his disciples are too valuable to be anxious, that Jesus' disciples are too valuable to be anxious. He says, look at the birds. The birds are flying here and there. Birds don't have barns. And birds don't have storehouses. Birds don't have publics. And birds don't have American Express. 
But birds have enough. Birds have enough. They haven't stored away a single grain. They haven't stored away a single bug. They don't eat a caterpillar and immediately wonder what's going to happen to my life tomorrow. Where am I going to find another caterpillar tomorrow? How on earth am I possibly going to eat? And I have all of these baby birds. I have all these little chicks and ducklings and goslings. Like, how am I going to take care of all of these little creatures? I've only got the one caterpillar. No. The bird eats. And then he flies up on the power line. And he sings his heart out, content, at peace. It seems joyful, doesn't it? Birds are the very picture of joy to us in our world. Sometimes we sit and we watch and we just, just to be a bird, just to live like that, just to not worry as they don't worry, just to, just to sing from one day to the next day to the next day. He says, how do you think they eat? How do you think they're able to sing after a single meal, not knowing where the next meal is going to come from, not knowing that, knowing that they don't have a single uh, ounce of grain stored away? He says they are able to sing because your Father provides for them. Because God has provided for them this day and God provided for them yesterday. And so they are certain that God will provide for them tomorrow. And he says, remind me, do the birds bear the image of God? Did God come in the form of his own son for the birds? Did Jesus lay down his life on the cross for the birds? If the father, if the father provides for the birds, if he makes sure that such helpless small creatures have enough and have their needs met and are able to live with a joyful song hanging on the tree, what about you? Do you think that the Lord loves you less? Do you think that the Father will provide for you less? Then he says, Consider the lilies, consider the flowers. He says, the hill is covered in grass. And God painted the grass. God painted the grass. Who cares what dirt looks like? Who cares how the hill is decorated? Who cares what grass looks like? And I'm here to tell you that the Lord cares. That the Lord took flowers and painted over the canvas of the hills with colors too brilliant for humans to match, too, too in-depth and rich for your Samsung to match. Think about when you walk through Sam's Club. What colors do they show to demonstrate their televisions? It's what God has made, not what man has made. Do you think God loves you less than grass? Do you believe that God loves you less than grass? Do you see what Jesus is doing? Jesus is taking his hand under our chin and he is lifting up our gaze from the needs that are pressing in on us, the needs that feel so big to us, but are in fact such little things in the economy of God so that we can see the sovereign Lord seated upon his throne. 
See, brothers and sisters, the greatest weapon, the primary weapon in the arsenal of the child of God against the worries and anxieties of life is the very character of God. In the birds, what do we see? We see the faithfulness of God, don't we? Every day they come and every day they chirp and every day they're hungry and every day they're fed. In the, in the lilies, what do we see? Who cares about grass? God cares. We see the goodness of God. And anxiety is the refusal to trust in the faithfulness and the goodness of God. But the weapon that you have against the worry in your life is that God is faithful. That God provided yesterday and God provided today and God will provide tomorrow. The, the weapon that you have against your racing heart and your nodding stomach and your sweaty hands is that God is good. God is not indifferent about his children. God is not ambivalent about what happens to you. It matters to God what you become and it matters to God where you go and it matters to God that you're okay. It is the faithfulness of God and the goodness of God that allow our hearts to rest. But see the other side of the argument that he makes. First he says that his disciples are too valuable to worry. But the second argument that Jesus makes is one that's going to hit us a little bit funny. Jesus says his disciples are too weak to be worried. They're too weak to be worried. He says, can you add a single hour to your life by worrying? Like, is that working out for you? How's that playing in your life? Can you add a minute, a second? Well, if you're so weak that you can't even do something like that, let me remind you, he's implying this, let me remind you that the God of the universe started time. Let, let me remind you that he spoke ex nihilo, as we just sang, and galaxies were born. So if you can't add a nanosecond onto your life by fretting and worrying and staying up at night and battling that insomnia that has been so long standing in your life, why worry at all? Why worry at all? If God is faithful to the birds and good to the grass, and if you are too weak to affect even the smallest of changes, then have confidence in the character of God. You see, God built you so that you would have to depend upon him. God built you with an inherent need for God so that you can't bear the weight of your own life and the weight of your own provision and the weight of your own necessities. You can't bear the weight of it for your own life, let alone the weight of your husband, of your children of your grandchildren. You can't fix the world and you can't fix you and you can't worry it into an okay status. See, anxiety comes when we take responsibility for what only God can handle. Anxiety comes when we take responsibility for what only God can handle. Anxiety comes when we try to hold life together and hold our families together and hold our careers together and keep our kids from hardship and our parents healthy. 
It's when we assume responsibilities that we are incapable of fulfilling and resolving. And since we can't make everything okay, we can't make everything better and everything easier, the only thing we can actually do is just worry about it. And worry doesn't work. Worry doesn't make your life better. In fact, Jesus says, can you add a minute to your life? Can you add an hour to your life? And we already know the answer to that is no. We know that worry doesn't add anything to our lives. Instead, worry takes away, doesn't it? Worry robs us of life. Worry is the enemy of joy. Worry is the enemy of contentment. Worry is the enemy of peace. Worry is the enemy of freedom and satisfaction in your life. Not a single thing that Jesus mentions here is unimportant. We need food and our families need food. And we need clothing. They're necessities. God designed necessities for us ever since Genesis chapter three. Like, You can't live in Russia and not have clothes, right? But Jesus says, all of those things are necessary things. All of those things are good things. And not a single one of those things is worth worrying about. Not a single one of those things is ultimately on you. You work, yes. You provide, yes. But you are going as a conduit of the provision of Almighty God, living out of your dependence upon him and this principle applies to so many different areas of our life since it's mother's day let's think about this especially from the perspective of a mom having children is a good gift from god we know this this is why christians are to be champions of pro-life causes We are for life and we are for children. This is why we feed kids at the orphanage. And this is why we champion adoption as a church family. This is why we do that. Children are a good gift from God, wonderfully made. But they can suck the life out of you. I mean, y'all not gonna amen that. Children are a good gift from God that can suck the life out of you. How many moms this morning are on the verge of throwing in the towel? Utterly depressed, feeling like a failure because you can't manage your home perfectly. There's so many blogs to read and opinions about this. And if you take a shortcut, you don't love your kid. And if you cook something in the microwave, you don't love your kid. And if everything in your house is not handmade, you don't love your kid. And if you don't have this seatbelt and this car seat, you don't love your kid. And if you have your kids up past this hour, you don't love your kid. And if you avoid this feeding schedule and sleeping schedule, you don't love your kid. And you're trying the best that you can with every shortcut and life hack for yourself that you can possibly implement so that you can continually spin all of the plates for your children. And you still, you still find out that your kid misses a benchmark. You still find out on your best day, you don't get it all done. And you're left feeling as though you are a hopeless, worthless failure. Because all the world feels as though it depends upon you and lands upon you. But what Jesus is saying, my dear sisters, is that God provided the children and God will provide for the children. 
God provided the children and God will provide for the children. Oh, sisters of God, walk away from the expectations of Facebooks and blogs and talk shows and rest in the sovereign goodness and the sovereign faithfulness of Almighty God. Second instruction that he gives us is do not be worried about the wrong kingdom. Do not be worried about the wrong kingdom. He says, and do not seek what you are to eat, what you are to drink, nor be worried. It's interesting how Jesus drives this home for his disciples. Jesus says that his disciples should not live for food and drink uh, because that's how people live who don't know God. This is what he means by verse 30. Read, read verse 30 with me. For all the nations of the world seek after these things. Now understand what he means by the word seek. What he means by the word seek is that that's the central priority of your life. That's what you're living your life in pursuit of. That's, what, that, that's what's at the center of your decisions. That's what's at the center of your energy. That's what's at the center of your work. That it's these things, it's food, it's, it's provision, it's, it's clothes, it's stuff. See, this is what the nations of the world live like. Those who don't know God, those who worship wooden carvings, this is how they live. They live for their stuff. They get second jobs for their stuff. They have side hustles for their stuff. They stay for stuff. They work overtime for stuff to the neglect of their health and the neglect of their family. They just want stuff. They seek after stuff. And to live seeking our needs and our wants is to live as a practical atheist. You may confess with your mouth that you know God and love God, but you are living as though God isn't there and God isn't trustworthy and that God doesn't love you. You are living as though God isn't good and God isn't faithful. You're worried that God isn't going to provide for you enough and that God isn't going to be enough in and of himself. In verse 29, Jesus makes a subtle, a subtle transition. And, and the way that I've worded my points, I, I intended to, to, to point that out. In verses 22 through 28, he talks about anxiety. He uses the word anxiety. Don't be anxious, right? But in verse 29, the ESV translates it as worry. And it does that. It's, it's basically a synonym that don't means anxious too. But it does that because Jesus uses a different word himself. And it's intended, it's a word that's intended to, be, to use to paint a picture. The word there means in its most literal uh, translation to be buoyant. It's the picture of, of being in waves and choppy water, being in the, in the midst of a rough sea, and you're just fighting and trying to keep your head above the water. You're fighting and trying not to drown and submerge and ultimately die. I wonder, I wonder how many of you can identify with that picture of worry. I wonder how many of you, you come and you get the dinner ready and the kids together, you go to work day in and day out, you love your wife and you serve your husband, you do all of these things and yet what it really feels like, what it honestly feels like is it just feels like you're drowning. 
It feels like you're, you're fighting the water and fighting the waves and everybody knows that you can't fight water and win. And so you know that you're drowning. You just hope today I can keep my head above water and then maybe tomorrow I'll be able to keep my head above water. You see, whenever your life becomes obsessed with all of the daily needs and all of the daily concerns and all of the daily wants, whenever life only begins to amount to dinner and diapers and savings and retirement, life loses its meaning. It begins to be as though there is no grander purpose, as though there is no grander providence, as though there is not a God who is good and faithful designing and moving this thing to a certain end. When a mother's life begins to resolve, revolve solely around the daily tasks that she has and the responsibilities that she has, her mothering will feel increasingly meaningless. Dads, you are not exempt. When your, when your life becomes about your career and about the ladder, the corporate ladder and about the savings account and the provision and the bottom line and the bills being paid, all of it utterly becomes meaningless. When it becomes about scholarships and it becomes about wins on Friday, life increasingly becomes meaningless because you are living as though God isn't there. You are living as a practical atheist. And so every Facebook post of a mom's friend, every new warning label that she reads, every new talk show she watches is constantly telling her, mom, it all depends on you. And so she tries. Honest to goodness, she tries. She is an honorable woman and she loves her family. And if it all depends on her, if it all rests on her shoulders, well, she's gonna give it a college try, man. She's gonna give it everything that she has. But the harder that she tries, the more she discovers she's supposed to be doing and thinking about and accomplishing. And the more she begins to feel herself slipping beneath the surface of the waves. That ultimately she says, I'm doing so much and trying so hard, but it doesn't seem to matter and no one even seems to notice. And what happens is that she has no power to make it better. She has no ability to spin the plates and she doesn't know how much longer she can last. Mom is drowning. Mom is drowning and she's attempting a self-rescue. Dad is drowning and he's attempting a self-rescue. We're raising our children and our teenagers to drown in expectations and standards and they attempt self-rescue only to follow in our path of misery. What we need, brothers and sisters, is a life raft. What we need is a life raft. Mom, you need a life raft. You, you need not just to survive one more day, but to look up to the divided sky and know that there is hope that is announced and coming. Dad needs a life raft. Teenagers need a life raft. And Christ has given us the life raft in the gospel. You see, nothing creates anxiety in the heart of a Christian like living as though God isn't real and God isn't there. And nothing declares that God isn't real and God isn't there like saying, I've got this. And yet how many times have you repeated those words to yourself? 
How many times have you meditated on that thought? How many times have you just wanted to lie down for a second and said, no, I've got this? How many times have you suppressed the worry that is bubbling up within you and only just said, I've got this? You don't have it. Confess it. You don't have it. You can't keep going like this. It's going to kill you. It's going to kill your marriage. It's going to kill the joy of your parenting, the joy of your mothering. The remedy for anxiety is not less responsibility. That's unreal, right? All of you know this. You think if I could just not have to do this and not have to do that and not have to do that, then, then I, could, I could breathe a little only to find that once you pass on one, one responsibility, there's two others that are added to your plate. That's not the answer. Responsibilities aren't going away in our life. This is, this is the lie that too many of us are buying and we're bailing on our marriages and we're bailing on our jobs and we're bailing on our responsibilities thinking that there is happiness and joy at the other side. If we can just take a breath, if we can just, if we can just breathe for a second only to find that it's just as suffocating on the other side. The answer to anxiety, the remedy, is not less responsibility. Anxiety instead requires a shift in perspective, priorities, and purpose. It requires us to go back to the gospel, to remember our weakness, and to remember simultaneously God's might, our burden compared to His grace. This is what Jesus is saying in verse 32. 31. He says, instead, think about the very word instead means a shift, doesn't it? It it means, let's think differently about that. Like you're thinking like this, you're seeking after food, you're seeking after clothes, instead, instead, these are gracious words, instead of running the rat race, instead of diapering for no purpose, instead of mothering to the end of just despair, instead, I have another way. Instead, seek his kingdom and these things will be added to you. Seek his kingdom and these things will be added to you. That is, don't live your life with your tasks and needs and responsibilities and wants as your priority. Instead, live your life focused on loving God and knowing God and enjoying God and all of these things that are keeping you up at night, they'll be seen correctly. You're still gonna have to feed your kids. Like, I'm not advocating that, okay? Let's not, let's not get our signals crossed. The house is still gonna be the house. The job is still gonna be the job. Like, those things are not going to go away. But if you'll run after God, if you'll find your joy in God, if you'll find your hope in God, if you'll find your assurance in God, if you'll find your footing in God, if you'll find your foundation in God, if you'll give your family to God, if you'll give your marriage to God, it will reorient and recalibrate your priorities so that you can see the ultimate purpose behind them all. So that you can see that these little mundane things are really steps in God's providence. That knowing God allows you to see how every small brushstroke of your life helps to paint a bigger picture. See, diapers and dishes and time clocks and recitals, they aren't meaningless, mundane responsibilities. They are the brushstrokes of God's providence that he's using to paint the masterpiece of his kingdom. 
Your dishes and your diapers will be used by God to build Jesus' church and proclaim Jesus' glory. Your time clock and your carpool will be used by God to paint the picture to the next generation of the goodness, of the faithfulness, of the provision of Almighty God. And you see, seeking, seeking the kingdom reverses the experience of seeking your wants. It reverses when you're seeking after the food and you're seeking after the approval of everybody else on Facebook and you're seeking after the approval of the mommy group. It it reverses your experience. Before, everything rested on your shoulders. But now, now, I don't have to be the rock of my family because my family has a greater rock. It used to rest on your shoulders, but now it rests on the shoulders of Almighty God. Before you were doing and you were working and you were trying so hard only to feel meaningless and underappreciated. But the gospel says that my most mundane task is a brushstroke in the masterpiece of God. So I was drowning before, but now I am secure in Christ and my joy is full. Before I was attempting a self-rescue and a self-salvation, but now, now I can rest in Christ. The difference that Christ teaches his disciples is the difference in perspective, priorities, and purpose. If you live all of your life chasing the next glass of water, you're always going to be anxious and you're always going to be thirsty. You drink that one glass that you have and you think, well, that's good. I'm glad I got water today, but what about tomorrow? What's going to happen tomorrow? How do I know I'm gonna have water tomorrow? How are my kids going to drink tomorrow? How is my husband going to have water tomorrow? What are we going to do? And so you have your thirst quenched for 30 seconds, but your anxiety never goes away because you've just got the one glass. And what Jesus is saying is stop chasing after the glasses and seek the spring. Seek the spring. That in the gospel, that is what has been offered to you. So knowing that you have the spring, you have the same task, you have the same responsibilities, but now you can delight in them. Now you have the glass of water, the same glass of water that you had before, but now you can savor it. You can take joy in it because you already know the spring is going to refill tomorrow. Oh, sisters in Christ, don't waste your life chasing after glasses of water. Brothers in Christ, don't spend your life chasing after glasses of water when you have been offered the whole spring. Finally, Jesus says, do not fear losing a temporary treasure. Do not fear losing a temporary treasure. His aim as he closes out his argument against anxiety is to show us how thoroughly silly our worry really is. He says, do you not remember who God is and do you not know who you are? He says, you are the little flock. Little, meaning you are powerless. You can't do anything about your own condition, but you are nonetheless the flock of God that God has saved and God has delivered and God has obligated himself to you. God is your shepherd and you are his flock and it brings him joy to provide for you. 
He wants us to see how misguided our fear is. We worry about our bread, but bread molds. We worry about our clothes, but clothes get holes and moths eat them out. We worry about our money, but at the end of the day, it's just paper with dead presidents on it. And God, God has given to us as his children, not paper, not moldy bread, not moth-eaten clothes. He has given us the gold mine of his whole kingdom. And through us and through our parenting and through our mothering and through our working, his kingdom in our most mundane task is coming to bear in this world until ultimately it is a new creation in Christ Jesus, a new Jerusalem in which we are gathered around his table. Your parenting, your marriage, your children are bringing the kingdom of God to bear in a broken world. And so Jesus, he tells this person, you're worried about having enough? You're worried about what you're going to eat? You're really afraid of this, aren't you? So go sell everything that you have and give it to the poor. Go sell all that you have. You're worried about provision? Sell what has been provided to you already and give it away. In other words, face down radically the distrust of God that's in your heart. Face down radically the idols that are there because you see, brothers and sisters, what we're afraid of, our fears reveal our idols. Do you tremble in the presence of other people? It's because your idol is their approval. Do you stay up at night wondering how the bills will be paid? It's because your idol is your income. Do you obsess and worry about the most minute of details in your mothering? It is because the approval of being a good mother is your idol. Oh, brothers and my sisters, offer those idols to the Lord and rest in Christ. Do you know what freedom is? The freedom that I have prayed for you this morning? Freedom is needing only Jesus to be happy and having him. Freedom is needing only Jesus to be happy and having him. You don't need likes on Facebook. You don't need approval from the mommy group. You don't need your boys to think that you're a success. You don't need a great income or a great retirement. You don't have to have a perfect home or perfect children. No, what you need is Jesus. If you just get to the place where all you need is Jesus, then, sisters, you can be set free to really live. Then, sisters, you can be set free to delight in your marriage and delight in your children and delight in your home. Oh, oh, husbands, husbands, wake up. You don't need your career to be happy. That is not your identity. Your identity is in Christ. This morning, what do you need to be happy? What do you need to be happy? I believe it is the mark of a mature man or woman of God that as they grow in the Lord, they need less and less to be happy. What do you need to be happy? Let's pray together. Hi, I'm Cody Hill. I'm the lead pastor here at Iron City. Thank you so much for connecting with us online. I hope in the days ahead that we'll have an opportunity to connect with you in person. On our website, ironcity.org, you'll see a number of different opportunities that you have to connect with our church and opportunities that we're seeking to engage our community and minister to our church family. I'd like to especially invite you to come and be a part of one of our connection groups that meet at 9 o'clock immediately preceding 
our Sunday morning worship service. You'll find that we're not a perfect church, but we are a passionate church. We take following Jesus very seriously, but we try not to take ourselves too seriously. So I hope you'll come this Sunday at 1015 and worship with us and let us get to know you a little bit better.